You can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We are going to finish our Christmas series entitled The One Longed For. And this morning I'm uh, taking on the topic of uh, prophetic encounters. There's a few prophetic encounters we will talk about this morning. So I don't know what uh, you were longing for this Christmas. In our home, my wife and I, we were longing to have our family back together. Uh, We hadn't all been together since uh, summer. And so we gathered in Calgary with our three kids and uh, my, uh, my one daughter-in-law. And then my youngest son got engaged about two weeks ago. So the new uh, daughter-in-law-to-be joined us as well. And so our, uh, our desire to be together as family was met. We had a great time. Uh, my wife's desire to plan a wedding was met. And uh, so that longing was satisfied as she got to go uh, wedding dress shopping with her daughter-in-law and her daughter-in-law-to-be, so that was exciting for her, and we had a great time uh, being together this last week in Calgary. Longing is part of human history, and and so much of, of Scripture, there is longing, because for much of Scripture, there's a longing for the Messiah uh, to come, and uh, that was the case 2,000 years ago in what we celebrate as Christmas, the longing of the Messiah. And the longing, I describe it as hope against hope. What is hope against hope? Hope against hope is hoping when you have great anticipation, but you're almost afraid to hope because you don't want to be disappointed. It's that, man, I wish this were true. And in the context of 2,000 years ago, people were hoping for the Messiah, but God had been silent for 400 years. It was hope against hope. It was Oh God, would you please intervene in human history? God, would you please come? And the story that we will unpack this this morning, the story of Mary and Joseph and Jesus and, and then Simeon and Anna who brought that hope to voice as they, God used them in these two prophetic encounters, two wise, gentle people in Simeon and Anna, two faithful people in Mary and Joseph, people who sought to live according to God's word, to be obedient to the leading of the Spirit, to live with expectation, and to follow the Holy Spirit's promptings. See, what I'd love you to take away with today is the understanding that God confirms his word through his Spirit to strengthen, encourage, and comfort his people to follow him. God has done that throughout history. God continues to do that today. He confirms his word through his spirit to strengthen, encourage, and comfort his people to follow him. And I believe God wants to speak into your heart today. So let's pray, and then we will dive in. Father, I thank you that just as your spirit spoke to Mary and Joseph, your spirit spoke through Simeon and Anna, your spirit has spoken throughout history, and you speak today through your word, through your people, into our situations, calling us to follow you, calling us to give voice to who you are to this world. And Lord, that's what I I pray. We'll have a greater understanding of that this morning, a greater experience of that this morning. And thank you that you have spoken to us through your word and that you have a word for us today because you promise that you are present with your people through your spirit. So I thank you in advance for what you will teach us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So when my first son was born, just over 27 years ago, uh, you know, your first child comes into the world, 
And the reality is you have no clue what you're doing. Like no matter what we say, we were clueless. You know, you're, not, you're never ready to have a child. You just have a child. It's, it's uh, all the books, everything. Like it all changes as soon as there's an infant in your arms. Partly you go blank. You forget everything you read. And partly you think, well, it doesn't apply to my child because my child's different or special or more difficult or whatever. So Josh was born, middle of the night, uh, November 10th, uh, 1990. Uh, and uh, I remember him being born. And the part that I love about childbirth, with all three of my kids, I, I was able to cut the cord. And uh, when you do that, then as the baby starts breathing, uh, the color changes. I right? to go from purple to skin color. And when that happens, for me, this was just this amazing moment of the reality of creation, the wonder of what God does and seeing that color change. I also was amazed at the depth of emotion. Like I knew I loved my wife, but when a child is born, I go, I didn't know I had those kind of feelings in me. I didn't even know I was capable of those, that kind of feeling. You know, and then they became teenagers and that's a whole nother ball game. <laughs> There's other feelings I didn't know I was capable of. <laughs> So Josh is born, you know, we're all excited. It's back in the day when, when uh, uh, you know, you give birth and, and you stay in the hospital for like four days or five days, not like 20 minutes like today. And uh, we bring Josh home, but he, had jaund- he was jaundiced. So he had to go back in and sit in the incubator, you know, with the little gauze over his eyes and you couldn't touch him and you'd go crazy as new parents. Then you finally get him home a few days later and he wouldn't nurse uh, properly. He wouldn't sleep. I mean, all the parental stuff is going on, just challenging. And your world, as you know it, just gets turned completely upside down, incredibly transformative. Uh, one of the little tricks that I learned, this is, I don't know if this is just me being wacky, or, uh, or, but it worked for me. So when you know, babies are born and we put them in his crib and you're you're, you're, uh, you're always a little nervous. Like, are they okay? And you're going to go check on them. And so I go, you know, lean over his crib and go, is he breathing? I want to make sure he's breathing. But I don't want to wake him up because then my wife will kill me. So that'd be a really bad idea. So I came up with this plan. So what I did was I would lean over him and I would blow up his nose. So I would just, just very gently, I would just go. And it worked great because, because it would never wake him up. But if they're okay, they would just go, huh? but they wouldn't wake up. I went, okay, he's good. I can go to sleep now. And I did it with all three of my boys and they never woke up. So there's your parenting trick for today. <laughs> so I was thinking about that experience and all the, you know, and each kid that's born is different. You'd say, well, that worked with the last one. Why doesn't it work with this one? Well, they're all different. Thinking about all those parenting things and I'm thinking about Jesus being born. So when we pick up today's story, Jesus is 40 days old. Luke chapter 2. And Mary and Joseph, new parents, first child, uh, all the circumstances around pregnancy and marriage, I mean, very conflicted story, Uh, all kinds of people whispering about them, and all kinds of things going on. This was not normal first century Jewish uh, get married, have kids story. So that's all happened now. Gone through all the, you know, the birth. And we pick up the story in in chapter 21. Or sorry, Luke 2, verse 21. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. 
And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So Mary and Joseph are wanting to follow uh, their faith, their Jewish faith, as best as they can. So seven days after birth, the eighth day, circumcision. 33 days later, you go to the temple. Two things you go to the temple for. First is purification from postnatal bleeding. And so purification happens. And then the second one, because he's a firstborn male, he's being dedicated to the service of the Lord. So dedication happens. They were too poor to, uh, to use a lamb for that dedication, for that sacrifice, so they did the two turtle doves. So they're trying to make sure that their son is raised properly. They're trying to make sure that he understands the ways of God. And we know from what Luke tells us that he took him to the temple regularly so that he would understand the ways of faith. They're being obedient to the teachings in the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, and they're trying to be good, godly parents. I think here's the point for us in this introduction. God's purposes are unveiled through our obedient responses to his initiatives. God's purposes are unveiled through our obedient response to his initiatives. Because God works through people, and these are people who are simply being obedient to the initiative of the Spirit in their lives. That's what they're doing. That's how God worked then. That's how he still works today, through obedient people. It's an amazing thing that God has chosen to reveal himself to the world by using people. It amazes me. And because of that now, I think God blesses Mary and Joseph with an experience to help guide them going forward by introducing them to Simeon and Anna. Luke chapter 2, verse 25 describes Simeon and verse 36 describes Anna. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation or the redemption or the Messiah, another way of saying it, of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, and of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So a description of Simeon and Anna. Simeon was devout and he was righteous. He was righteous, commentators would tell us, in his relationships with other people. He was devout in his relationship with God. Given that description, we know he was a man of character. He represents the testimony of a wise elder who has walked with God for years. You know, I think wise elders, as a bit of a side note, wise elders are so important. I'm so grateful for the wise elders I had in my life uh, as a young uh, Christ follower. I'm so grateful for the wise elders that I'm meeting here at Willingdon. And uh, uh, one of them on our, um, on our board of elders here at Willingdon. Uh, I'm so grateful uh, that we have Jim uh, Eisenhower serving with us. And as I listen to Jim speak in meetings, I go, that's a wise elder. He understands the word of God. He serves God. That's why he's here. I'm so grateful uh, for people like Paul and Louise Thiessen. I met Paul and Louise Thiessen over 20 years ago because I went to grad school with their youngest son. So they'd come to visit and we get to know each other. 
and visit with each other from time to time. And I'm so uh, grateful to be able to reconnect with them again here at Willingdon. Or Ted and Pat Clausen, uh, who have pastored many places over the years. And my wife and I connected with them over the years. And they've made uh, Willingdon their home as they've retired. And, being, and there's many others here. And I'm just getting to know them. I would encourage you to get to know wise elders. So important for our faith development uh, to hang out with wise elders. And Anna, we're told in verse 37 that she did not leave the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. She had dedicated herself to worship God and to his ministry. Saints who walk with God, who are in touch with God's heart, often have this sense of expectation because they know God's word and they're looking forward to what God is doing around them and what he wants to yet do in the future. They start seeing people increasingly through the eyes of God, not necessarily seeing ourselves as we are, because they understand the perspective that God comes from. That's what Simeon and Anna are doing. Their eyes are focused on the future. They're waiting with expectation for God's reality, God's priorities, and God's work in the world. They're aligning themselves with God, and it's being expressed, expressed through them in their natural uh, relationships, in their natural personality, in the natural wirings that God has given them. Great anticipation. Now the central figure of our story, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus, the Christ child, the Messiah. The central figure of the story, the central figure of human history. And Luke reminds us through Simeon that Jesus is the light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel, as Simeon tells us. When Simeon says that, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60, the first three verses say, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Why is Jesus a light for the Gentiles? He's a light for the Gentiles because it is through Jesus that Gentiles, that we, the non-Jews, will come into relationship with God because of the person and the work of Jesus. Why is he the glory of Israel? Because Israel had been called out by God to show who God is to the world, and now that is actually happening through Jesus. That's why it's being described that way, prophesied in the book of Isaiah, chapter 60. And, I, and Simeon recognizes this by the Spirit of God showing this to him. And he knew the scriptures. He would have memorized them as a young boy. And now God is taking the timeless truth of God and the timely teaching of the Holy Spirit. And he's bringing those into an intersection in this moment in history. Because that's how the Spirit works, friends. The Spirit takes the timeless truth of God and applies it in timely ways to our lives. That's why when you can read a passage of scripture that you perhaps have read a hundred times and you go, yeah, I know that. But you read it this day and suddenly it jumps off the page to you and go, that's what I needed today. It's the timeliness of, it's the timelessness of scripture and truth and the timeliness of the spirit that brings those two things to an intersection to you today. Because that's how God works. And that's how God has always worked. That's how God has always worked. Because God recognizes these people who love and serve him. See, God's purposes are accomplished through people who love and serve him. 
It doesn't say God's people, God's purposes are accomplished by the most educated, the most experienced, the most successful. Scripture shows us repeatedly that God's purposes are accomplished through people who love and serve him. And as I read this account of Mary and Joseph and Simeon and Anne, I think, okay, well, what kind of people were this? Were they? Were they the highest IQ in the room? Were they the wealthiest in the room? Were they the most successful by whatever measure in the room? You don't have any description of Simeon and, and Anna other than spiritual character descriptions. You, don't, you have little description of Mary and Joseph. You have a little bit about them. He's a carpenter, but again, not a, not a whole lot. So when you read about Mary and Joseph and Simeon and Anna, there's nothing in their story where you could say, well, look how they are. That's not like me. God couldn't use me because look at their qualifications. What are their qualifications? They loved and served God. They said yes. Same qualifications you and I can have. Exactly the same qualifications. There's nothing that you can separate yourself from in the people of Simeon and Anna, Mary and Joseph to say, oh, wow, look at them. No, no. I mean, Mary's greatest qualification is she said, may it, may it be with me as you have said. She said yes when the angels came and told her the news of the pregnancy. Joseph said yes. Simeon and Anna just pressed into God and just kept following him and walking with him. They said yes. They were focused on God and on his agenda. I think one of our greatest challenges in the Western world today is that we are so easily so focused on ourselves. You turn on the TV, listen to, to, uh, to any radio ad, TV ad, and you're going to learn very quickly that there's a whole lot that you deserve. You're going to learn very quickly there's all these things that, man, if you, know, you should have this. You should have this experience. You should have this, this uh, item. You should have this toy. You should have this car. You deserve it. All that does is, is convince us that we're being ripped off perpetually. And that the answer, of course, to our discontent is to buy whatever they're selling. Simeon and Anna, Mary and Joseph, were oriented the opposite way. They're oriented to the Father, to his mission, to the coming Messiah, to his agenda, to bringing him glory with their lives. That was the simplicity of their orientation. That's where their content, contentment was found it wasn't found in material things. It wasn't found in anything else other than Christ and his agenda and the Father and his agenda exhibited through their faithfulness and their obedience and worship. So Mary and Joseph show sacrifice and piety, sacrifice and saying, yes, we will, we will take on this pregnancy. Yes, I will marry this woman. Piety, yes, we will go to the temple. Yes, we will follow the rituals of the Jewish faith. Simeon and Anna serving wholeheartedly, serving with energy, serving with passion that had nothing to do with age or material good or anything like that. It's just the beautiful story of faithful parents and prophetic partners who give, who give future hope and warning to Mary and Joseph to guide Jesus and to be a witness to the world. How do they do it? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. The same way that God works in you and in me today. So we know God's purposes are accomplished through people who love and serve him. We also know the Holy Spirit guides the willing and open-hearted for God's purposes. 
The Holy Spirit guides the willing and open-hearted for God's purposes, which is exactly what we see in these four people. They're willing and they're open-hearted. That's who they are. And it's a description of God's work in the past and how he works in the present. Verse 26 of Luke chapter 2 says, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came uh, in the the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. So you have Simeon who had been told that he would not die before he sees the Messiah. I keep wondering what this conversation looked like. How was he told? Like the scriptures don't tell us anything about that. And how did he respond when he was told? So did he say, uh, because God had been silent for 400 years, did he, did he say, oh good, I'm going to live another 400 years? Or did he say, boy, I wonder what's going to happen next week? Like I just wonder, what was his perspective when he, this, when he goes, I'm going to see the Messiah before I die? Is that immediately? Is that drawn out? We don't know. But we know Simeon obviously believed what was revealed to him. That's very clear to us, is that he believed what, was, what had been revealed to him. I don't know if his desire was so deep to, the, to see the Messiah that the Lord just said, okay, I'm going to reveal this to you. We're not giving any indication. We know he knew scripture. He knew Isaiah 9, 6, which I read earlier today. We know he knew Isaiah 60. He knew the story. So first of all, God gave Simeon a sense of anticipation. He would not see death before before Christ came. Secondly, the Spirit led him to the temple that day at the right time. So Simeon has this broad sense of anticipation. I will see the Messiah. One day he wakes up and he has a nudging. Go to the temple now. I don't know how that happened. I know what the nudgings of the Spirit feel like in my life. And I'm sure many of you could say the same thing. I know there's days when I've had that nudging go, phone now. And you think about it and you go, okay, I'll do that when I have time. And another nudging comes, no, now. Okay? Text now. Ask how they're doing now. Tell them they're praying, you're praying for them now. Same principle, folks. God works the same way because it's the same spirit. And I've been amazed how many times when I've been obedient, especially a simple thing like a text, if you would all do this, that would change your lives profoundly. When you feel a nudging of the spirit to encourage someone with a text, do it immediately. You cannot go wrong. Tell me how you would ever go wrong if you, if you feel a nudging and you say, well, what if I'm wrong? Well, how do you go wrong with saying, I'm praying for you. What are you going to get back? Stop it. (laughs) I doubt it. (laughs) And so many times I've just said, okay, I'm going to do that. And I text and people go, how did you know? I go, how did I know what? How did you know that we were struggling right now? Or how did you know that I'm sitting in a doctor's office, which literally happened one time waiting for, they were waiting for a cancer uh, uh, consultation. I said, I had no idea. I said, all I knew is I was supposed to text you right now. Right? It's so simple. Just start doing that today and this is a big win. And people will say thank you to you over and over and over. So Simeon wakes up. Obviously, he didn't get a text, but he got a prompt. Go to, that's good, you got that. <laughs> Go to the temple. Go now. So he goes. Now think about this. 
He goes to the temple, and often I think in isolation of the story, it's easy for me to think he goes to the temple and sees Mary and Joseph as if they're the only ones there. Mary and Joseph are simply following the ritual uh, that you do after 40 days uh, after your baby has been born if you have a male baby. That's all they're doing. So when, when Simeon walks into the temple, there's probably a whole bunch of people, there are a whole bunch of couples whose firstborn boy is 40 days old. That's most likely the scenario that, he, that, they walk, that Simeon walks into. So he walks in in anticipation. He goes, now what? There's a whole bunch of people here. And then in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit prompts him again and goes, that one. That's the Messiah. Because we're not told any other way for him to figure this out. So that's what happens. The prompting of the Spirit. Spirit still works the same way today as the Spirit worked then. And this text is not prescriptive of how the Spirit works, but it is descriptive of how the Spirit works, just as, as uh, so much of Scripture is. So in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would, we're told the Spirit would rest on someone or fall on someone, and then they would do what the Spirit told them to do. They would write the book or, or do the act or prophesy, whatever it may be. In the New Testament, Christ dies is risen from the dead and then ascends to, the, to heaven and he sends the Spirit at Pentecost. So now everyone who's a Christ follower has a Spirit living in them. That's the place we're in now. And so prior to that, you have the Spirit working. So in Matthew chapter uh, 1, verse 20, we're told that Joseph get, receives a dream, right? He was not going to follow through with marriage to Mary, but he receives a dream. And because of that dream, he marries Mary. But then you go post-Pentecost and in Acts, Acts uh, chapter 8, it's the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. And in the spirit, Philip is taken to go and uh, speak to the Ethiopian eunuch. We have that story happening there. Uh, two chapters later, Acts chapter 10, you have Peter receiving the vision and then being told that people will come and knock on his door who are Gentiles and he should go with the Gentiles and go do ministry to Cornelius. And that's in the spirit. So Peter goes and does that. In Acts chapter 11, you have the prophet Agabus who prophesies the coming famine. And because of the famine, they take up an offering to help people who are going to, where the famine is going to strike. So it's a preemptive offering for, to help people uh, for a famine that's coming. And then in Acts chapter 16, you have Paul's Macedonian call. So he's on a missionary trip. The Spirit stops him at one point, And we don't know how. It just says the Spirit stopped him. Obviously, it was significant enough for him to physically quit traveling. Then he has a dream and goes to Macedonia. It's how the Spirit works and continues to work to this day. What's the point of these prophetic encounters? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. The Apostle Paul is teaching what the purpose of prophecy is. It says, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. That's the bottom line. The Spirit speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So God reveals his plans through his Spirit for our strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Which is exactly what he did with Mary and Joseph. It's exactly what he did with Mary and Joseph. How did that happen? Simeon. It says, verse 28, Luke 2. He, being Simeon, took him, Jesus, up in his arms and blessed God and said... Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, 
Jesus obviously recognized, uh, or Simeon obviously recognized Jesus as the Messiah. This is the one. I can go home now. Thank you, Jesus, he's saying. I've seen, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all your peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, a glory to your people Israel. Isaiah 60. That's what happened with Simeon. I can just imagine when Mary and Joseph are standing there and this guy walks up to them and looks at them and grabs their child and picks them up and they're thinking, what are you doing? And it says, and he starts praising God. This is the Messiah. And sometimes when God works in our lives after a time, we start wondering, you know, God, did you really say that? Like, was that really how you were leading me? And Simeon comes with everything that's happened to Mary and Joseph. And now... A time later, he comes and affirms again that they had heard him correctly, that they had heard the Father correctly. But he also speaks into what will happen with Jesus, verses 34 and 35. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign that is opposed. A sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." So as you read into the story of Jesus, you see this happening out through Jesus' teaching after he begins his public ministry. We see the opposition to Jesus starting. We see people's attitudes and hearts revealed, just like Simeon said. And and we know Joseph at some point falls off the story. Um, We're not told in detail how that happens, but as Mary continues on as Christ's mother, we see these things happening. You You can see that Mary would have would have gone back and said, man, I remember when Simeon said this. I remember Simeon told me there would be days like this. I remember Simeon told me that my own soul would feel like it was pierced. And you think about Jesus on the cross and his mother watching this. So while they received encouragement and comfort, they also received the strength that they needed for the journey that was ahead. Because that's how God works. That's how God speaks through the Spirit. The timeless truth of Scripture and the timeliness of the Spirit to bring those things together. Because when the Spirit leads us personally, He always confirms what He says in His Word. He never contradicts His Word. So God's Word to Mary and Joseph served to strengthen and encourage them for the difficult things their son would face. I think in particular to God was gracious to Mary as she would see the death of her son and the courage that she needed when she was frightened for safety for her son. Often God's prophetic word gives us the courage to face our future if we stay close to him. So just over two years ago, I'm attending a, uh, an event in, um, I think it was Toronto, at a conference. And uh, one night I'm sleeping in my hotel at this event and I have an incredibly vivid dream. And I wake up with a start from the dream and I realize that's a dream that I need to write down. That's not... You know, I had too much spice in my food yesterday. That's not, I'm in a hotel bed and I can't sleep. I think this dream has meaning. I write it down and I actually immediately, as soon as I wrote down the dream, I I actually immediately felt the Lord saying, this is what it means. And I phoned my wife and I told her about the dream and I said, Gwen, I think the dream that, that the Lord gave me is telling me that I'm not going to be in my current job that much longer. I think he's giving me a heads up that there's a change coming. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know. I mean, the thing with dreams, you don't, they're metaphorical. You don't know if it's way in the future, is it? But 
I said, I think the Lord has given me a heads up here. 12 months later, same month, that job came to an end. And I remember as things were progressing, I thought, okay, I think this is going to end. I remember, said, remember the dream? We're good with this. I don't know what the Lord has next, but we're good because he said to me this through the dream, this is coming. I said, okay. It's like your, my anxiety just went, okay, what's next? I don't know. He knows. It's his problem. We'll figure it out. But that's how God continues to work. So first service this morning told that story and a lady came to me after the service and uh, she told me about a dream she had had about something that happened shortly thereafter that was very difficult in her life. And this morning on the way to church, she said, I prayed to the Lord as I was struggling with a dream that I had and was I responsible or irresponsible with it. She said, I was saying, Lord, would you give me something this morning that would, that would give me peace with what has happened in the past tied to the dream that she had? And then when I told the story of what had happened to me, she came to me after the service and said, that was exactly what I needed to hear this morning. I said, thank you, God, because I had no idea. Because all I heard was, tell them this story. Okay. That's the beauty of how God works. That's the wonder of how God works. God knew what Mary and Joseph needed. God prepared them and blessed them for their obedience in the past and prepared them for their, where they were going in the future. Through Simeon and Anna, through these, these encounters, And then Anna, in verse 38, just brought, I think, great joy to the story when she said, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. She's so excited to meet Jesus that she cannot be quiet. And she says she's telling other people who had the same anticipation. When I hear that, that tells me there's another group of people. And I am betting that at that point, those are the same people who probably gave courage and support to Mary and Joseph in the future. Because they're all waiting for the redemption of Israel. And Anna is saying, there it is. There he is, right there. It's amazing how God brings things together. To people who are willingly to submit to the Father, who love and serve him, and who will listen to the promptings of the Spirit. That's how God works. And you can see how they responded to Jesus. And I think how we respond to Jesus shows us everything about our hearts and our heads what our mindset is. And you can tell what a person, you can tell the heart and mind of a person by their reaction to Jesus. If you, if you see Jesus as a judge, then you will fear Jesus. If you see Jesus as a good leader, you will admire Jesus. If you see Jesus as a great teacher, you will study Jesus. If you see Jesus as a champion for your cause, you'll probably quote Jesus. But if you see Jesus as the Son of God who came to take away the sin of the world, you will worship Jesus. And you can do a lot of things, admire admire him, study him, quote him, and not worship him. But the hope of Christmas, the longings of your heart come in the worship of the Messiah. That's where hope comes from. That's where your longings are met. That's where transformation happens. That's where the guidance into 2018 becomes a reality for all of us in the most personal of ways. Let's stand for closing prayer. As we close this year, um, 
If any of you have not made the decision to follow Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And you can simply pray silently with me. Uh, I will guide you through that. Um, and then after, after the service, I would invite you either go talk to the folks at the Welcome Center who would love to guide you further or come talk to me. And uh, I'd love to give you some next steps to follow in that. And after praying, making that prayer, I then also would just like to pray for all of you as well. So if you want to follow Jesus, you can pray with me. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and paying the price for my sin. Jesus, please be my forgiver. Jesus, I give my life to you to follow you in obedience as best as I understand it. Be my leader. And Jesus, I pray that you will teach me how to grow in my faith and increasingly have your mind and your mindset and guide me in that and be my friend. Come and fill me with your Holy Spirit and guide me forward from this day on. And Father, I pray for all people here. Lord, as we wrap up a year, we often reflect on how the year has been. And for some, it's been a difficult year. And Father, I pray for your peace to pour out on those who have been struggling. I pray for your presence, Father, to pour out on those who are searching. Father, I pray that you will walk with us into the new year. Father, I pray that we will take steps of faith and courage to to walk closer with you in 2018. Father, for those who are celebrating today, I thank you for them and for the good things that have happened in their lives that have brought them to a place of celebration, for how you have met them, carried them through struggle, perhaps brought healing, physical or emotional or spiritual to their lives or relational. Father, I thank you for all the good things that you have done and you will continue to do. Father, I pray you would pour your spirit out on this church. I pray many, many people will come to know you through the ministry of Willingdon this year. I pray many will, people will grow in their faith and understand the calling you have on them to be your agents in this world. Father, I pray that Willingdon will be a light to this city and to this country and around the world. Father, I pray for the other churches in this city and in this country, Father, that the way that we behave as Christ followers, the way that we live out your gospel, Lord, will be such a light to the nation that people will have a clear sense of who you are, Father, and turn to you for hope and forgiveness and in trust and joy, Father. Thank you for your goodness and for your grace, Father, and for your presence with us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.